Jesus really shows up in our life and we can better integrate him into our life is through scripture, is through the word of God. And so every single Sunday here at Artisan, we're going to preach from the Bible. One thing I can promise you about this church, there are two things. There are only two things that I see that have been constant through Christian tradition through all of history, and that is the gathering of the saints to worship God and to hear the word preached. Those things, worship and the word. They are, they're, they're, those are the things that we are going to continue doing. The way in which, how I many know new songs will be released that we're going to sing. There'll be new messages, new series, new ways that we approach the preaching of the word. There'll be different people that will stand on this platform. There'll be different singers. There'll be different ways in which we do those things. But the powerful reality is that when we gather together and we worship our God and we hear the preaching of the word, it begins to change our lives. And more than ever, I am convinced of the fact that regular attendance in the gathering is necessary in a walk of faith. That there is a reason why he called the local church his bride. That there is power in our gathering. That there is power in showing up together. That's why we're stressing community so strongly as we believe in this for your life. But today, we're going to have um, really, typically I have an entire section of scripture. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today, but this one uh, can really be summed up in a verse. This entire message can be summed up in a verse, and it's going to be really, really helpful. And uh, before I read it, though, I want to hopefully help us a little bit understand one of the really basic approaches to how what we would call like theology, the study of the word. When you want to study the word um, and, and you, you want a healthy theology of the word, one thing that you can do is ask a question, a really, really simple question. Is this verse, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? So is this verse describing something is it describing history? Is it describing a moment that happened? Um, is the author writing to a very, very specific case that, that we can learn from, but it's not telling me how to live? It's not giving me a commandment? It's not giving me something to shift? Or is it prescriptive? See, sometimes what we do is we want every single verse in the Bible to be able to be isolated and prescribe something to our life. And yet that was not the intent of so many of the authors who are, who are penning the scripture by, by the, 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 the Holy Spirit. And, and doing that, the reality is there are some prescriptive and there are some descriptive passages. And so this verse that I'm about to read is a prescriptive verse. This is one of those that the author, James, um, writes. And, and it, it's this beautiful, simple verse. It's this beautiful, simple verse. And it's coming off of a section of scripture where he's saying, hey, you need to be more humble. You need to be more humble. You need to understand some basic understandings of, of walking with God in the chapter 4. But this verse stands on its own and can be prescriptive to us today. And that's James chapter 4, verse 17. He puts it so simple. Remember. I love that there's remember. So he is assuming, and he's writing to the 12 churches, the 12, and, and he's writing this letter to many churches, and he's assuming that all of these churches have an understanding already, a prior understanding of what he's about to say, which means that's how, part of how we know this is prescriptive. He's bringing to remembrance something we should be building our life on. He goes, remember, I'm going to bring back to your remembrance that it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. <laughs> you want to write a verse around your neck? This would be a good one. You want to have a verse you can easily memorize? James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do 
and then not do it. But here's the tension of this verse that we all feel. Every single one of us have felt in the Christian life. What happens when what we ought to do is not what we want to do? There it is. (laughs) There's the tension of the Christian walk. What happens when what I ought to do is not what I want to do? It's not what I want to do. And I actually love the grace also that's found in this verse. It's a sin to know what you ought to do. How many of you know there, there are moments where we learn and we grow and what we knew in one season is not what we know in this season, right? And so there's even some things now that I go, I, I feel like I've now learned more about myself. I've learned more about my Christian walk. And I now feel a conviction not to do things that before I was never convicted on. Because the problem is, is so often we want Christianity to be, to be simple. Oh, man, we want it to be so easy. I want all of my Christian walk to be in two categories. Sin, not sin. Done. I want it black and white, no gray. I want sin and I want not sin. And so that means if it's a sin for me, it's a sin for everybody else. Oh, and there's been some damage done with that. If if, if he's telling me not to do it, he's telling everyone in the world not to do it. But that means that all you think is sins of commission. You don't even understand the layers of the sins of omission. That there are things, right, it could be as much as God's challenging you to fast and you don't do it, right? That's a sin for you, but is that a sin for the other person that God wasn't challenging to fast? No. There's layers and complexity to sin. And there's uh, layers and there's complexities to temptations. And today as we get into shame game part two, we're going to talk about temptation. We're going to talk about the difference and the tension between what we ought to do and what we want to do. I said last week that we were going to preach this in week three and that we were going to talk about shame around identity, but I changed it up on you. That's just it. you got to sit on the edge of your seat with me. I'm telling you, you never know what I'm going to do. We're going to get crazy up in here. You know what I mean? Change it up the sermon series. Pastor Sam, are you kidding me? Never trust me. I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to go into temptations today, and I want to dive into this. What happens when what we ought to do is not what we want to do? And because the problem is, like my flesh, like my body, I don't, I don't want hard. I want easy. I don't want pain. I want pleasure. <laughs> it's like, hey, do you, do you, want, you want me to punch you in the arm or you want me to give you a donut? I'm like, donut, easy, done, done. That's not even a hard to say, right? Do I want pain or do I want pleasure? I want, I want pleasure. Like, my flesh wants that. But the problem is, and so, so, so we start to categorize life in this way. We start to think, okay, I don't like hard. I definitely don't like slow. Oh, Lord, I do not like slow. And I, I don't like painful. So hard, slow, and painful, that, that must be bad. God doesn't want that for me. God wouldn't ask that of me. God wouldn't lead me to that. that, that it doesn't feel good. I don't. I don't like it. It doesn't align with all my desires all the time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run from hard, slow, and painful. Come on. How many of you know it's really hard to imagine? I was talking with somebody in the church this week. We we're having a morning together, and, and, and I, I was illustrating what tension I feel in life is that there's no way. Have you ever, have you ever had maps 
tell you that the fastest way is through traffic? You ever had this? Where it actually says you see the red, right? And I'm talking Apple Maps because I'm an iPhone person. Apple Maps, right? And you see the red. It tells you all the traffic and, you, and it goes and it won't reroute. And you're like, why is it not rerouting? There's no way they're going through the hard, slow, painful agony of that traffic is going to be the fastest way to get home. How many of you believe that you know best and you're like, Maps, you're wrong? Maps, you're wrong. I'm smarter than you. I got detours you don't even know about. Watch me. And we waste time feeling really good as we go the quick, easy, and pain-free way, but we're wasting time. You see, it's so hard for me to imagine that God would say, hey, actually, you might have to go through something slow. Painful is not so hard for me. Like, I'm not that, like, pain's, pain's whatever, right? Like, like when we were doing the set design and I drilled a drill bit into my finger. It's like, I'm going to bandage it. I was like, go to the doctor. My whole finger was sliced open. I'm like, no, it's fine. It, your body heals. Why do we need doctors? I don't understand. So you just, you just wrap it in tape. Like, it's, it, it make the blood stop. That's the goal. That's all you need to do. And, and pain's not a big deal for me. How many of you guys got high pain tolerances? Where's my high pain tolerance people? You're like, that's not. But slow, slow's so much worse. It's so much worse, right? There's something in us, or maybe we don't like hard things. We're like, with things are different. I don't like hard things. I want it to be easy. I desire the easy. I desire that. But, and so we start to attach easy, quick, and pleasurable. We call that good. God must want that for me. That's obviously where he's bringing me. Obviously, the, the, the further I get in my faith, the more easy, the quicker it should be, and the more pleasurable it should be. And so what we tend to do is, is we begin to think that actually if I, have, if I have temporary pleasure, that's going to be enough for me. But I believe that in Christianity, there is no lasting pleasure without temporary pain. And I want you to leave this up on the screen. For, I think we got that slide, don't we? I want to put that up there. There is no lasting pleasure without temporary pain. You see, there's this tension. Here's, here, here, here's the issue with what temptation gives you. It says, temptation is going to tell us that if I have temporary pleasure, that's the good thing. But I'm promising you that temporary pleasure will always lead to lasting pain. But lasting pleasures will only ever come through temporary pain. So we would rather often get short-sighted and choose the temporary pleasure not realizing that we're breeding sort of this lasting pain in our life. So we're going to take what's here today, take what's available right now in front of us. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 10 puts it this way. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, they're going to harvest something. You're going to harvest something. What are you going to harvest? Death and decay. It's intense. You're going to harvest death and decay. From that sinful, sinful nature. And sinful nature is always focused on the temporal. Hey, what's here? What's available today? So I'm going to take temporary pleasure, not realizing that I'm bringing in lasting pain. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now here's the eternal. The eternal. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest of blessing when? After not giving up. The lasting pleasure is going to come from will you live through the temporary pains and challenges of life? And do you trust me enough 
to believe that I've got goodness for you, that I've got blessing for you? Do you trust me enough that I created you and I made you intentionally and I know the plans I have for you and I can see your future? Do you trust me? You see, in Christianity, we have to understand it's not all pain and no pleasure. But again, there's no lasting pleasures without temporary pains. So lasting pleasures ultimately really look more like finding purpose than meeting desires. Lasting pleasure in the kingdom of God is really attached to our purpose. It's attached to something larger. It's attached to something bigger. You see, the the early church did a really good job. They were phenomenal at living in light of heaven. Um, because Jesus, how many of you know he didn't give a very clear timeline on his return? <laughs> like, do, do you know this? <laughs> he kind of made it very confusing. And, uh, but I really believe this firmly. He did it because how many of you know if he said, hey, in the next 800 years, this generation would not live in light of heaven. Because he's coming back after I die, so I don't need to worry about that. But he puts it in such a way, he goes, I want every generation to live like I'm coming back tomorrow. I want every generation to live like eternity is imminent. Because if you get so obsessed with the temporal, you will not take on pain for me. You won't go through hard things for me. You're going to give up. The moment things get challenging, the moment there's conflict, the moment there's disagreement, the moment anything goes on, you're like, I'm out. I'm living for the temporary. And Jesus presents this reality of I'm coming back, but I'm going to come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. Why does he say that? Because he wants us to live on the edge of eternity, going, I am living for eternity. Honestly, I should do a better job as your pastor to bring up the fact that Jesus is coming back more. Like this should be a constant reminder. And if we're going to dive into the, 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 the word temptation, I'm telling you, you need a greater motivation of eternity in front of you if you want to battle temptation. I need to know that I'm going for lasting, eternal pleasures. And so temporary pain, temporary slowdowns, (sighs) temporary, right, like whatever it is, that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. I can handle it. So you see, what begins to come in when we start talking about temptation Temptation wants us to say yes to a temporary pleasure in order to cheat you out of long-term purpose. How many of you know that temptation always gives permission to quit? Tomorrow. (laughs) Always. Hey, you know what? You don't need to do the hard thing today. You're doing so. You had a bad day. Come on, you deserve this. You earned it. Tomorrow, you'll do the hard thing. Tomorrow, you'll say no. Tomorrow, you'll build that discipline. Tomorrow, you'll grow. But today, you know what? Remember what the Bible says? Take it out of context for a second. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Be in the moment. Live for the moment. Just be. Just be here. Come on, right? It lies to you. Just be in this moment. Just give in today because you'll do the hard thing tomorrow and then tomorrow comes and do you do the hard thing? No, never because you're giving in to pleasure. And as you give in to that temporary pleasure, instead of eternal pleasure, you're going, hey, I'm going to feed that flesh. I'm going to feed that part of me. Because church, did you know this? You're never tempted into consistent discipline. Never. (laughs) Temptation will never lead to discipline. Temptation, you're always tempted into temporary delights. You're tempted to do that which is fleeting. Do you know that sin is fleeting? It's never lasting. And yet we serve a God who's everlasting. 
Do we trust that? Do we live in light of it? Do you know that God is above space and time? He doesn't just see you today. He sees you tomorrow and he sees you the next day and he sees you all the way down. And he sees a preferred future and he's trying to go, hey, I want to lead you to health. I want to lead you to health. I want to get you to a place. I see where you could go. I see the potential. But all sin that Hebrews 12 tells us trips us up so easily entangles us, it starts with temptation, church. And so as we talk about shame, we need to actually dive into temptation because for a lot of us, we're losing to temptation because of shame. And we're going to get that to that. You, and the reality is you can't move past current sins, things you're struggling with, if you don't understand the temptation that keeps leading to them. All the mistakes we talked about last week, did you know every single one of those mistakes started with temptation? All of them. Starts with temptation. So we should probably work a little hard at discovering, let's really dive into the, what is temptation? And actually, as I studied it, researched it, prepared for this message, prayed over this message, I felt the best way to attack it is actually not what is temptation. I actually feel like it would be helpful for us today if we tackled what temptation isn't. What is temptation not? Because I believe temptation is rooted in lies, and we believe lies about what temptation is. And if we could remind ourselves about what temptation isn't, it's going to break that lie off of your life today. Anybody believe that, that you get some freedom today? This is a helpful sermon. I, I hope you understand. I want to help everybody. This helps me. Preparing for this message was helpful. Okay, this is good for our soul. This is helpful. How many felt last week's message was helpful? We got so much feedback. People saying, hey, just, just getting that down and having a way to think this through in the sin cycle, the healthy sin cycle, the unhealthy sin cycle is helpful. This is going to be another thing to learn what temptation isn't. The first thing, then this one is probably the most important. Church, if you want to battle shame in your life, can I remind you, temptation is not sin. And I'm actually, very rarely, I often suggest things and let you decide. This is one of those things that is proven through the person of Jesus. So, so I'm going to say this strongly, okay? Temptation is not sin. Now, the lie is that it is. Oh, the enemy, he wants you to feel filthy and dirty for that thought. Oh, you disgusting, perverted person. How dare you, you garbage person. Are you you, you would have that thought? You had that thought? You had that temptation? You had that desire? Oh, pff, you're... First of all, you're the only one, and you're gross. You're gross. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. You better hide that. Everyone in this room, if they only knew the desires that you've had, the thoughts that you've had, if they only knew, they'd never talk to you again. They'd never look at you again. You see, if temptation is sin, we already lost. Temptation is sin. I'm going to prove it through Jesus. Question, church, was Jesus truly tempted the way that we're tempted? Do you really believe that? That Jesus was tempted as we were tempted. And in fact, I think you could argue since the devil himself in the flesh appeared and tempted Jesus, that his temptation was probably a little worse than yours. Like, can we just be honest? Like, I, I, I don't know that the devil himself, like, I'm on his, like, top hit list right now. You know what I mean? It says that he's the father. Like, he's got, right, he, he's sending some, some workers. He's sending some people to get me. Come on, we got to not give the devil too much credit. He's not omniscient and he's not omnipresent. Like, do you know this? Like, what, he's not on caliber with God. He's not even close. He doesn't see your future self. He doesn't see it. God does. So who do you trust? Do you trust the father of lies? We're going to get to the lies. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm worked up by this message. Whew! So Jesus, Hebrews 2.18, really helps us understand this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, 
He is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you actually, church, do you really believe that it was hard for Jesus when he was tempted? Do you believe it was hard? Do you believe he took everything in him? Do you believe it was a battle? Do you believe it was a struggle? Sin or temptation may not be sin, but it sure is a struggle. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight. And he suffered when tempted. He actually went through pain. He went through pain. He went through temporary pain. So much so that angels had to, and honestly, just think, we never think practically, right? We always think so, like, ethereal about scripture. Could it be that Jesus' body was beyond modern medication? That no modern medicine or doctor could have actually healed his 40 days in the desert and what he went through? That they didn't have the technology or the food or the way to build, they didn't have IV drips to re-get, they didn't have... And so God had actually sent angels to attend. It was a miraculous healing to his body because he was suffered so much at the hands of the devil and his temptation, but he chose not to sin. He did not sin in it. So if he had those thoughts, if he had arrogance trying to rise up, if he had those different pressures, could we as well? We forget how human he was, don't we? We forget that he struggled in the garden. We forget that he even asked for help. He's like, hey, guys, will you go with me? And the disciples fall asleep, right? <laughs> he asks for help. And this is so beautiful. Hebrews tells us, so because of this fact, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help. So if you think temptation is a sin, you won't ask Jesus for help. You're too ashamed. Well, if Jesus knew, he does know. <laughs> well, if I just, I don't know, I just don't want to put words to this. Again, when we pile shame on, we tend to drift, we create separation. Shame creates separation from Jesus. And Hebrews tells us, actually, if you're tempted, you got to ask for help. You have to ask for help. And he's not coming from a place of some distant, perfect, condemning, wagging his finger, how dare you, I don't even understand how disgusting you are, you horrible child. No, he's going, I, I get it. I've been there. Let me help you with this. Before this turns into sin, before this manifests into something, before it goes unchecked, you got to believe that temptation, church, is not a sin or you've already lost. I firmly believe that. You will not win. You will not live in victory if you believe that you're already failed because you have one desire or one temptation or you see something that wants to draw your attention and you know you're not supposed to or that you're drawn to do something. That, because, and and it's, it's a reality. We have to ask for help. Another truth that I think is important of what temptation is not. Um, we can get really confused about who we are when we start to think that our desires and temptation is our identity. So one of the things the enemy wants to lie to you about is if you want that, that's who you are. Whatever you desire, that's your identity. So he's going to wrap up, he's going to create lies via his temptation to begin to make you believe that um, apart from that desire, you are nothing. Apart from that temptation, you are nothing. Apart from that temptation, you won't know who you are. You are actually found in your desires. So the only way you're going to discover your true identity, and we're going to get to identity more next week, the only way you're going to discover it is just by giving in. The more you give in to the flesh, the more you're going to discover your true self. And that's the lie. But I'm just going to be honest. I do not have a single person I've ever known, and there are many that come to mind, that have said, you know what, my, I am my desires, and I'm just going to give in to it, that bring out lasting pleasure at all. Broken marriages, lots of them. Generational pain passed down, absolutely. Depression, oh yeah. Suicide, big part of it. They don't, they don't seem to find them grounded in their identity. 
They don't seem to be secure in who they are. They seem to get more and more insecure. Want to know why? Because if your desire, your temptation is your identity, what happens when it changes? Oh, your desires don't change? Because guess what? I don't want to stay out till 1 in the morning anymore. Ever. Not ever, okay? I'm not a 1 a.m. guy anymore. 22-year-old Sam would literally would love to jump through a time warp and punch me in the face every time I go to bed at 10 p.m. Like, how dare you? You lost who you are. Don't you know you're the fun guy? Don't you know you're the guy who could stay up all night and go to work the next day and be the top server at B-dubs and you actually find, you know, you find pride in that? Like, don't you know? Don't you know who you are? You're that guy. Who are you? Disgusting man in bed. I, let's be honest, it was 9.30 the other night, okay? <laughs> right? So, so I had so much identity and I was the fun person. And, my, and how I thought I had to be fun was being the one who'd always go the longest, was always game for something else, was always ready for the next thing. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, what, that desire changed. Does that mean I'm lame and I've lost myself? Or does it mean that now I carry responsibilities that bring a way greater purpose than staying out till 1 a.m.? But those responsibilities dictate that I go to bed at 9.30 and 10 sometimes. Why? Because I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best dad. I want to be the best pastor I can be. And sometimes that looks like a good night's sleep. Come on. Come on, somebody. You got to be okay getting old. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine, guys. I'm good. I'm good. It's not your identity. Psalms 37.4 is going to give so much help. Write this down. Write this down right now. Do not leave without this verse. Oh, the psalmist penned some beautiful Thoughts, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. So essentially, I should not trust my desires. I need to take on God's desires. But guess what, guys? He's a jealous God. And what that means is he desperately demands relationship for you, with you. You cannot be healthy apart from relationship with God. He made sure of it. Why? Because that's how much he desires your heart. How much he desires time with you. Have you ever delighted in something? Some of y'all, myself included, we're about to delight in the Vikings beating the Packers. It's going to be a great day. It is a great day. We're going to watch them defeat them. And, and, and guess what you do? If you're going to delight in it, you want to know what you do? Come on, we're having friends over. We're creating space. We're making snacks. I'm going to make sure the kids have lots of toys downstairs so I can actually watch. the Right? I want to delight in watching Kirk Cousins throw the ball. I want to be focused. I want to be in. I want to be engaged. I don't want distractions. Right? It's like, like, that's fine. But, but do you do that when you spend time with God? Do you delight in God? Pastor Jim, I, just, I don't really know what that looks like. Like, I, I don't know. Do you take delight in him? Are you putting away distractions? Are you spending real time with him? If you want to overcome temptation and you want to stop seeing your temptation and your desires as your identity and you want to have a shift in your actual desires, he'll actually change the way you think. He'll change the way you view things. But you got to delight in him first. And why does he want you to delight in him? Because he wants relationship with you. He wants it. He wants it. I do this with my kids. Hey, like, I'll buy you a treat, but it's got to be daddy time. <laughs> like, I'll reward you, but, like, I want to, it's for time with you. I want to spend time with you. The next thing, we got to keep moving. Temptations, we talked about this a bit last week, but I got to hit it again. Temptation is never unique. Reminder from last week, you're not so special. You're not that special. You don't, you're not the first one to be tempted with it. You're not going to be the last. 
You're not so appallingly dirty and filthy and disgusting that you should never tell anybody because the moment is when we think that our temptation is so special, so grotesque, so out there that no one's ever had that thought, no one's ever had that desire. You want to know what we do? We shut our mouth. I'm never telling anybody. That's the last thing I'm going to do is tell them about my temptations. Some of us are more comfortable talking about our mistakes publicly than our thoughts publicly. Like, oh, I did it, so let's talk about it. But there's so many parts of our mind that, oh, man, a conversation about that, I don't know. But we begin to think that we're more special than we are. And honestly, that's part of what the enemy does. And the next one we're going to talk about will help us understand this, but it's part of the lie. It's part of the lie. He wants you to believe that you are so disgusting and so filthy and so unique in that way. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we quoted it last week, but let me read it this week. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, for a lot of years growing up in church, I always heard, like, you'll never be tempted beyond what you can handle. And I'm like, well, I'm not handling it. I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm giving in every day. What do you mean? So I'm a failure? So I'm a garbage person. I literally, this verse actually created so much condemnation in my life as a youth, like when I was in youth group and that kind of stuff, because I only heard the first part. We stopped there. Hey, you will never be tempted beyond your ability. So buck up. Come on, you can handle it. No, no, you can't. You, you don't have the ability. He gives the way out. You have to put these two together. He's going to provide a way out. And so Hebrews tells us when we get tempted, we're supposed to ask for help. Want to know how we should ask for help? Help! What's the way out? Show me. Do I need to leave the room? Do I need to go in the spirit of Joseph and flee? Come on, like a Potiphar's wife, like I got to get out of here. Like what do I need to do? Like what is the way out? Is it a phone call? Well, what is it? Usually for me, the way out is pretty physical. Like I need to do something because the temptation is overtaking. Or sometimes I got to take this thought captive, so I'm going to take it to prayer. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I want, I want to take this thought. You see this thought. I remember just simply one of, my, one of my mentors, he just said, hey, actually visualize it. Just put that thought in the chest. Lock that chest. Put chains around it. It just had this mental. I do this now all the time. It's just a practice. I go, nope, you're in the chest thought. I'm locking you. I'm throwing chains around you. And I'm throwing it in the ocean. It's gone. Like, depart from me. I'm taking that thought captive, literally, in my mind. And I'm picturing it because I want to move past it. I need a way out. And it's not my job, it is not your job to find a way out. It's to ask where it is. Or it's not your job, sorry, it's not your job to create the way out, it's your job to find it. I said that wrong. It's your job to find it, it's his job to create it, and it's always there. It's always there. So where are we, are we asking for it? Are we looking for it? You see, temptation, the other thing we know it's not, it never speaks the truth. It's always a lie. But lies from the enemy are always so close to truth right? They sound like truth. They come close to truth just enough to begin to make you believe it. Begin to make you believe it's going to be your preferred destination that's going to lead to the things you want in life. That if I would just give in, because God would never want anything hard for me. He'd never want pain for me. He'd never want slow. He would only want to heal it in the moment. We knew, oh, we love instant healing, but how many of you know we don't like prolonged healing? We don't like the journey. We don't like when it's slow. We don't like when it's hard. There's always going to be a lie coming in. John chapter 8 verse 44 reminds us this about the devil. He was a murderer 
from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. So you're going to come against the lie or are you going to let it start to grow? When that temptation comes, the lie is that that thing is what's going to bring lasting pleasure. But I promise you, and here's, here's the problem. Can we just be totally honest? It, it, it does bring short-term pleasure. Like, let's just, let's call it what it is. A lot of sin feels really good for a tiny second. And then it leaves you wanting so much more. It leaves you feeling so empty, so hollow. But during, whew, feels great. This is awesome. It's what I want. It's my desire. So the lie he has to build is that actually giving into that is going to build the life you want. Because if you saw the destination that it's leading to, you'd never go into it. So he's never going to tell you, right? How many of you know when, when, the, when the devil's tempting Eve in the garden, he doesn't go, hey, I want you to get a picture of this. You're going to get pregnant. And you're going to grow this baby in your stomach. You're going to be stretched huge. It's going to get massive. After you eat this apple, here's what's going to happen. And then after nine months, all this agony, your feet are going to swell. You're going to go, you're going to get morning sickness. It's going to be horrible. And then after that, before there's even modern medicine, you're going to have to give birth to this baby. And it's probably, there's a good chance it's going to kill you because we don't have anything to handle. If you gave a picture of childbirth, there's no way she's eating the apple. She's like, get it out of here, right? She's throwing it. Because that was a part of the fall. Childbirth came into that. He doesn't tell you the result of the sin. He doesn't tell you the result of the temptation. He just wants to lie to you that, hey, it's going to feel good right now. Eat. Eat. Eat it. Do 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 it. Tomorrow you'll be better. Do it. Do it. Do it. Now. 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 Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Just take it. Just take it. Just take it. Just do 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 it. It's never going to speak the truth. He's the father of lies. You cannot trust anything that comes out of his mouth. And again, one of the ways, well, how do I know if it's the enemy or how do I know it's God? Usually when, he's, when you hear a voice or you feel a pressure or you feel a desire, again, to just always give in to the temporary, it's probably not God. But is this a part of the eternal impact that God wants me to make in my life? That's a great way to filter whose voice are you hearing. And the band can come on up as we close. Church temptation will not lead to freedom. Saying yes, giving into that temptation will not bring freedom. Freedom has to have boundaries. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if temptation is always a lie and freedom is found in truth, do you believe it? Do you actually believe it? And are you willing to accept truth? Are you willing to accept it from God, do you believe that truth will lead to freedom? Because sometimes truth requires boundaries. Truth requires limitations. Do you know every single one of us, if we were to sit down and work through all of your temptations and go, hey, what are some practical ways out that we should establish? Because sometimes the way out that he gives you is really practical help. And we were to build boundaries into your life. Do you know all of us would have different boundaries? Some would have some overlap, some would, but we all have different layers. There's going to be different boundaries. Why? Because at the end of the day, you, your temptation might be different than your spouse's. Again, it, they're all common to man because there's billions of people. But in your social circle, right, they're, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be different boundaries that you might need to have. There's things you might struggle with that I'll never struggle with. Does that make me better? No, I need to work. What's the temptation? 
Because the enemy's preying on your weaknesses. He's not preying on your strengths. He's going to try to find those areas that he can get you in. Why do you think you're still struggling with the same temptation 40 years later? Because the Bible never says that that temptation will go away. It doesn't ever promise you that. Do you know that? The lie will always be there until he fully defeats the enemy. So temptation's not going anywhere. And some of you guys, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. Some of you actually have attached shame that you're still being tempted by something this much into your faith walk. Shouldn't I be past that by now? Shouldn't I be over that temptation? That temptation's not sin. And in fact, it just might stay there. The Apostle Paul himself had a thorn in his side. Some people believe it was a temptation. He could not overcome. He just could not get past. He's like, why is this still here? Why am I so human? Why am I the chief of all sinners? He struggled with it. He wrote half the New Testament and struggled with it. How many of you know we're probably going to keep struggling with it? There's some things God goes, hey, actually a piece of your walk is going to be turning from this and choosing me. Because forced relationship is no relationship at all. It's just abuse. And so I need you to choose me over that. I want you to walk in that. Because temptation should not bring shame. Do not attach shame to what you're tempted to. Or ye's already won. Your temptation is not your identity. That's not who you are. You can overcome it. You can get past it. So we need to start asking when temptation comes, we need to change it from just, does that fall into a sin category or a not sin category? We need to actually ask ourselves, is this what I ought to do? The Apostle Paul, he actually puts it this way when he writes to the church in Corinth. He said, anything can be permissible, but not everything's beneficial. We can find a way to give ourselves permission to do so much. Have you ever talked yourself into something? Well, it'll be okay this time because, you know, we start to add all these caveats and we start to work so hard to convince ourselves that it's okay. But, but is that beneficial? Because if you see your entire life as sin and not sin, rather than healthy or unhealthy, you have a limited scope of what God wants for you. Did you know that God's desire is for you to be healthy, not to just abstain from sin? He's trying to bring the best out in you. He's not just trying to say, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. Finally, now I approve of you, son or daughter, because you didn't do something bad today. No, he's going, hey, that's killing you. That temptation, if you, if you listen to it, it will kill you. It'll bring lasting pain and consequence. Please, I implore you, would you listen? Would you trust me? Yes, I, I'm so sorry. There's some temporary pain. I did it too. I understand. But when we get through the temporary pain, we're going to get lasting pleasure. Just do, please do it my way. Please don't listen to the lies of the world. Please don't listen to your flesh. Please don't make it your, de your desires, your identity. Please don't pile shame onto the temptation that you carry. Temptation's not sin. It's common. It's going to keep happening. But if you would consistently walk away from the father of lies and walk to the father of truth, you're going to find freedom. And I want to bring that to you. I want to bring that to you. So a powerful question that can offer some clarity today is when it comes to temptation, is this temptation about living for this moment or for the greater movement of Jesus? Is this about the moment or is it about the movement? Because every time we build into the greater movement, the collective cause of Christ to bring in the kingdom of heaven to earth, we get lasting pleasure. We build into eternity, but when we find ourselves 
obsessed with living for the moment, we lose sight of eternity. We lose sight of what God is doing. 